to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to crisis management, business continuity, disaster planning, emergency management, uh, resilience, anything that's relatable to those subjects. And speaking of which, if there is a topic you'd like us to talk about on the show, please feel free, send me an email. Uh, on the webpage at voiceamerica.com for the show, there is a button. Uh, you can click on that and you can send me a note. I do get all emails and uh, I respond to everything. And we'll see about either getting you on the show or finding someone else uh, to come on the, sh- go, the, the show to talk about uh, the, your requested subject. Uh, I will be at the Continuity Insights Conference April 2020 next year in San Antonio, Texas. I know I'm going to be speaking. I've forgotten the subject matter, actually, but I know I'm going to be speaking at that conference. And today's show is brought to us uh, by the people at Stone Road and their uh, product, Boast Assessment, boastassessment.com, which will allow you to track your uh, program uh, um, status and your progress and help you focus uh, your resources. Now, let's jump into today's show. If you've been a long-time listener, you will know of my guests today and the subject because I've had them on the show twice before. In fact, uh, the last time I had to write the date down was uh, almost a year and a half ago, back in mid-May of 2018. Still, they are still uh, the two of the most listened-to shows uh, in our entire catalog here. Uh, and I'm happy today to have them back on the show, Mark Armour and David Linsten. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alex. Very happy to be here again. Yes, I know Mark's going to join us in about 10, 12 minutes or so. But yeah, uh, yeah yep. welcome back to the show. I know uh, lots has happened uh, with you guys. Uh, I've been in other conferences and uh, I've seen the adaptive BCP movement show up in lots of different topics. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah, it's sort of uh, it's worming its way in, as it were, to a lot of different areas in the industry. Let's start with a, a, a basic question, you know, because it has been almost a year and a half since the last time we talked. What kind of things have been happening since then? Wow. Well, you're right. I mean, we're seeing adaptive pop up here and there. I think... To to take the broadest view possible, I think what we're seeing in our industry is that the lessons learned and the improvements that other related disciplines are making are having an impact in the way that we are doing our business in uh, business continuity and emergency planning in in the industry. And so by that I mean... um, we have Six Sigma that is really making uh, strides and lean. A lot of things are being done with a lean process and just an, an entrepreneurial 
spirit of uh, try different things, do experiments, get in front of the customer, make mistakes, fail fast, learn from those things, uh, rapid cycles of improvement and providing value. Along those lines, Agile remains huge. Um, the uh, Project Management Institute is now packaging the traditional waterfall methodology with the Agile approach, and things like DevOps are uh, really moving along. So I think a lot of the way that business is doing business is impacting what we do to try and map out the, that business and learn it and protect it. And so ad, uh, I'm sorry, the adaptive BC approach is really built on a lot of those premises, that rapid re- um, rapid improvement, uh, all the things that I just mentioned. I won't go over them again. But I think what we're seeing is that um, when people are looking around for a methodology that is a little leaner, uh, faster, um, gets in front of the customer more often, and delivers value uh, a little bit quicker, mm-hmm. um, they're, they're, they're finding adaptive and seeing that it's, it meets and meshes with the way business is doing business. Well, it's interesting that you say that, you know, that there are all these different movements that are going on and uh, changes in the way we do things. And I know we're already going off script here because this tends to happen every time I talk to you guys. (laughs) And away we go. (laughs) With that happening and all these different movements occurring, which are changing the way we do things, what do you think still causes people to push back on the adaptive BCP movement? If everything else is changing? Well, there's a... There's, there's not a loaded question. That's great. Thanks. Thanks for the softball. <laughs> um, I, I think you've got a number of things. First of all, we really have had only one way of doing business continuity for a long time. Um, I mean, from the very beginning, from mainframes and Y2K, it's been do a BIA and then do a risk assessment and then come up with strategies. First of all, get lots of imp- uh, approval and plan out exactly what you're going to do. Come up with a corporate policy that supports all these things. I mean, that's just the way we used to do it. So I think there's just habit. I think our business continuity planners are really busy. They don't necessarily have a lot of time to take a step back and say, well, wait a minute. There's, you know, is there a better way to do that? Is there a more efficient way to do this? Is there ways that we can make this easier and more valuable for the customer? Um, and two, you know, there are 10 principles, just like in um, agile project management, there are 12. I hope I got that right. There are 10 principles in Adaptive BC, and one of them is uh, eliminate the BIA. And right off the bat, that makes a lot of people a little nervous and a little anxious. Um, When they can dive into what we're trying to do, and even if they don't agree with that one, 10% of our principles, um, then I think there's a lot more reception to, oh, you know what, we do that one thing too. Or, yeah, we, we do a SIPOC, we just call it a BIA. Or so... You know, again, I think there's lots of human and systemic reasons uh, why it's easier to just do what we've always been doing. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, again, as as the business of business changes, as we can't take six months to do a project, we can't take right. uh, six months to roll out a, a new whatever, right? Things have to be broken down into two-week sprints and moving forward and moving more rapidly with uh, the, the value that we provide and getting in front of the customer and getting rapid feedback. Those, all that stuff, all that stuff's come together in the way we do business, and I think Adaptive helps to meet that demand. So so then, in, in your opinion, why do uh, people in the industry tend to focus on the um, 
I guess, the negative aspects of adaptive. You know, you mentioned so many different ways of doing things, the Project Management Institute with Agile, Agile Waterfall, Waterfall, you know, different ways of doing things. And yet, when it comes to the adaptive BC, uh, BCP, or sorry, let me get, get it right, adaptive BC, um, doing uh, a new way of, of uh, approaching our disaster planning or business continuity planning, people tend to focus on all the negative aspects. Why, why is that so unfortunate that we, we're not seeing the benefits? Why are people talking about it? Yeah, I, you know, that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of it's just human nature. Um, I, I think Mark and I and the rest of the folks that have been working on Adaptive for the last couple, three years are, are, have been surprised at the real the vitriol um, that has come out around wanting to keep with the standard. I mean, it's like if you don't want to use Adaptive, okay, then don't use Adaptive. Away we go. And like you said, there's lots of different approaches to project management. We don't have just Agile, right? We have the, the Prince method, and we have all sorts of different. Uh, we used to have extreme programming. And so there's always been options. And we would hope, I think, that in our discipline, in our industry, we would want to make improvements. It seems odd in a time of of blockchain and Bitcoin and Agile and artificial intelligence and deep learning and all these new changes and these really fast changes that are happening in our world, that we would be happy with a methodology that is largely unchanged in 25 years. Um, Mm -hmm. When I think of the changes that have happened just in the last five, uh, just social media alone, um, I think it surprises me that we're not looking, that more people aren't looking for, for better solutions that match the, the way we live lives today. Do you think that's a part of it? Because you mentioned social media, that the the message of uh, Adaptive BC came out so fast and uh, tended to um, get talked about so quickly that it kind of shocked people out there. Like, what? There's a different way of doing things? <laughs> right. Yeah, like, what's that? <laughs> It was good enough for me and my grandfather. It's good enough for you. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know. That's a tough call. It's 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 human nature. It's systemic. It's you know. There's money involved, of course. Uh, there's uh, publications. So you know, there's a lot going on with that. And uh, I am surprised. I guess spin it another way. It, it's good to see that uh, the practitioners in our industry are very engaged. Uh, that they feel very much uh, that they're they're identity, their personality, their vocation is caught up in the way that they've been doing things. And look, you know, nobody likes to be told you've been doing something the wrong way. Now, what I try and say is, well, look, you know, before we had Agile, it was the wrong way, but now we have Agile. Before we had Lean and Six Sigma, we had TQM, and we had, you know, all that. So change happens, and it's okay to say, look, we've learned something, right? And adaptive Mm -hmm. doesn't come out of a vacuum. Adaptive comes out of the pain and the problems and the suffering that regular frontline project, uh, sorry, the business continuity planners have, have experienced. And this is our way of trying to to bring all of those solutions together into one place under one banner so that we can make those better. Um, You know, if it turns out that uh, three of our ten principles end up being wrong, great, we'll change those. Uh, As we move forward, we would all hope to learn more things and to make our approach match uh, the best uh, learnings that we have at the time. And look, 
like you said, social media, the, the world is changing. Um, I know just trying to keep up, I'll, I'll talk about the BIA just for a minute, but look, you know, trying to keep a BIA accurate for more than a month with mergers and acquisitions and reorgs and all the things that go on, I mean, it's crazy. We have got to be able to run and adapt, adopt as fast as uh, regular business does. That's a challenge. Well, you kind of touched on a couple of things here. Got me thinking. Um, and again, every time I talk to you guys, this this tends to happen. Um, but um, with 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 regards to BCP, you know, our industry kind of being still really new um, and, and fighting for credibility with the sea level. Um, do you think that you know, with the adaptive movement coming in, it, you know, some of the pushback actually came from, hey, we, we don't even have all the support and everything in place yet from the existing methodology. How can we change it now? I think executive support continues to be a struggle, and I think that's because a lot of our industry, we just haven't done our homework. So um, I've I've said this before, maybe in one of the previous episodes, but um, let's suppose an organization undertakes formal business continuity planning for two years. How much more uh, recoverable are they at the end of that two years? Nobody knows. Yeah. We have no idea. So we haven't done, we've, we've been counting a lot of things in our industry. We count the number of documents, the number of exercises, the number of call trees, the last time we updated a call tree, the last time we updated the documents. But that's a lot about the output and not about the outcome. And we need to do a better job of actually measuring the preparedness and the value. So one of the things that Adaptive BC offers at its core is a model for, well, just what is it that we do for business continuity planning and how do you measure preparedness and recoverability? And once you can do that, then you can measure an organization with regard to preparedness and recoverability, and that turns into a a gap analysis, and that turns into a heat map, and that turns into a road map, and that gives it to the executives. And now, for the first time, the executives can really have a say in how to invest in improvements in their organization. You know, before we've typically said, well, um, we've done 37 plans, and the, the executive's like, okay, well, what does that mean? Uh, well, we've, we've met with 37 uh, yeah. departments and created documents. Well, now we can say, look, these five departments are less than 50% prepared, these other five are 75, and these other three look good. What do you want to do, boss? Do you want to prepare one of these in very great detail? Do we want to improve these five or those five? Do we want to improve for this scenario or that? So the levers that executives like to to use and to see, the options we can now give them. So I think, again, every most conferences you go to, most articles you read will talk about how do I get executive support? Well, I think at the mm-hmm. end of the day, we've got to talk about the value proposition for business continuity. And to date, we've been pretty darn bad at that. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you because that topic I remember hearing uh, when I started back in you know the mid-90s. And it's now, you know, <laughs> what is it, uh, October 2019, and that's still cropping up. So yeah. we're, we're not, we can't be learning in, in that area. I think it points to a fundamental problem that we, we really, we, we, we haven't had a, until now a vocabulary to start talking about business value. But now we can. 
Um, and we can start to move forward even beyond that. We can start to correlate um, impacts of loss in actual disasters with measured levels of preparedness before those disasters. We can start to answer the question of something like, um, if I have $100 to spend on business continuity for Department X, what should, where should I put that money? What's the biggest bang for my buck? What kind of value can I expect? What kind of improvements can I see? And that's the kind of thing that executives are going to look for, and we haven't been able to give them that kind of information uh, for 25 years. Well, on, on that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We're talking at the moment with uh, David Lindstedt, who's uh, half of the adaptive business continuity movement, <laughs> and we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. We are talking with David Lindstedt from the Adaptive Business Continuity Movement. David, I, I've, I've got a question for you. What do you see as the chief benefits of adaptive business continuity? I know you kind of touched on bits and pieces as we, as we talked in the first segment, but I'm wondering if you could kind of go through what the benefits are for our listeners out there, you know, kind of all in one shot here. Well, let me take a sort of a weird approach to it, which is most of the folks that I've talked to who've incorporated all or some of the, this approach um, 
the whole experience of being a business continuity planner is a little bit more meaningful for them again. Um, you know, one of the quotes I, I had coming out of a, uh, the, one of the certification courses was, you know, this might make me like my job again. And boy, that's, that's really something. I think is so much of our industry, and it feels like just in the last 10 years, maybe I'm wrong about that, has really focused to a lot of the compliance and regulatory requirements and really trying to tick the box on most of the things that have to get done there. And so I've actually had people say, Boy, I'd love uh, to make my organization more prepared and more recoverable from disaster, but that's not my job. My job is to make sure that we have met compliance and regulatory requirements. Again, wow, that's quite a statement. So I think it really becomes more meaningful as a whole. You know, a lot of business continuity planners got into business continuity. Well, a lot of them got in because they were in the wrong room at the wrong time, just like me. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. But the people that voluntarily get into it and they stay and they like it, it's because they get to learn things, right? They get to explore the organization. What do you do and, and how do you do it? And what if you couldn't do it? And what kind of creative solutions and workarounds could we come up with? It, it's a fascinating job uh, if we can get back, I think, to where we all started with trying to do it, which is really look at the, the, the capabilities of making our organization more recoverable. So, Let's say we've got um, an existing business continuity management program or disaster recovery program, you know, whatever people call it. How do you suggest we begin to transition, let's say, if we want to get into the adaptive uh, frame of mind? You know, I, I, I don't know if it's easy enough to just say, oh, well, then just stop doing this and start doing that. You know, what, what are your suggestions on how I could start transitioning my program to something more adaptive. Yeah, exactly. So as you would expect and is in the nature of adaptive, it depends. Um, So one of the things that adapt is very attuned to is the culture and the history um, and the makeup of every organization. And what I could do in one organization is different than what I could do for another. Um, Mark and I were just at a large organization, and we launched a new business continuity program in just three days. Uh, because you can cut a lot of the overhead down, you can really hit the ground running very quickly. Well, let me bring it into sort of more uh, concrete terms. So I think you find things in the adaptive approach that resonate with you. Um, For example, maybe your organization has been moving more towards Agile or Lean or Six Sigma or Growth Mindset 3.0. No, the... uh, uh, just growth mindset. It's uh, management 3.0, etc. Uh, there's a lot of things that are coming out right now. Atomic habits. Uh, maybe the organizations. That, so one of the things you might do is start running your business continuity work in two week sprints. So you can easily map out on a Kanban board the work that you're going to do with, let's say, human resources over the course of the next six months and running in two-week sprints. And so you meet with them and you see what they have and you see what they're interested in and you react to them. If they're really not engaged, maybe you start with an exercise and you get them engaged and get them trying out new things and thinking about what they do in disasters. Maybe uh, you take a baseline of preparedness so that you can measure your actual quantitative improvement over time. Maybe, whatever, right? But 
the adaptive mm-hmm. approach is very nonlinear. I can start anywhere that the department needs me to and where they're interested. I, as the professional, know where we need to end up, but they can decide how they want to move forward in the process. So maybe run in two-week sprints. Um, maybe think about uh, one of our principles is documents only for mnemonics, which is to say our job is to not create lots and lots of pages of documents that just don't get used. We, we know they don't get used. That's what everyone tells us and what the research shows and post-disaster incident reports, those types of things. Try this yeah. on for size. Think about doing all of your planning so that the only written thing you can have is the front and back of an envelope. Everything else has to be, let's talk about it, let's figure it out, let's try it, let's do, uh, uh, let's get the resources and make sure those are in shape. But as far as writing things down, let's try and keep it to the front and back of an envelope because look, at time of disaster, people are not going to pull out their binders. Um, what the aviation uses, what pro football uses, what uh, military uses are going to be cheat sheets and checklists. And let's look at that. So there's lots of different innovate, but have fun with it. You know, it's a very serious topic. Uh, business continuity and, and disaster and those, it's a very serious topic, but that doesn't mean we can have a bit of uh, leeway, creativity and innovation in the way that we roll it out inside of an organization. You you touched on two interesting pieces that I caught up there, uh, caught on to. You mentioned uh, all the documentation, you know, and the uh, the way a lot of that tends to be made for checkboxes and compliance and auditors. And then you you mentioned having fun. Are, in a way, are you suggesting that you know we try empower people? <laughs> Heaven help us. Heaven forbid we might do that. Absolutely. Look, one of the things that we know from, again, let's look at people who deal with the crisis, right? Let's, what, what does the military do? What do surgeons do? What do athletic teams do, right? Um, what they do for the most successful are to give them the overall mission, the overall objectives, and then empower them to take action and make decisions in the post-disaster environment. We know that... Um, the, the president of the company is not going to call every single department and tell each person what to do after a disaster. We're going to have to figure these things out. Um, there's actually an interesting piece on um, uh, agile project management and the military, the Department of Defense, with the cyber warfare. Anyway, they mentioned a lot of different things, but one of the quotes was uh, bring, uh, the quote, but bringing up again the idea of we've got to be able to empower our frontline people to take the actions, to make the decisions, because they're the ones who have eyes on the situation and boots on the ground to be able to deal with it. So what does that mean? That sounds like a lot of military fancy talk, but what that means is Sally in accounting, uh, who's the one who knows how you can get the bank to uh, requisition something without whatever, all the types of things that we need to know, um, they're the ones who know that the frontline staff know what we need to do, and they need to be empowered, but with the objectives in mind, with the, the ground rules, the rules of engagement, that we want them to be able to achieve certain things uh, and not go over those bounds. We need to set the guardrails. So, yeah, absolutely. Let's empower uh, lots of people, and let's um, empower our business continuity planners to be able to 
adjust their approach based on where the organization is. They have their own history and background and experience and culture, and we've got to be able to meet them where they are. Well, I, I, I like that. Um, I'm wondering, though, is can there be uh, issues with that, considering that a lot of managers feel that if they empower their people to do things, that they might be doing something wrong? And the reason why I say that is because I've worked in environments where um, managers have, well, they've micromanaged. And yet, at the same time, they're saying, oh, I'm empowering you to, to do things. But when something happens, yeah. I really don't have that empowerment to do it, even though I know how to do it. So, Does that yeah. cause some of the problems? I would think, sure. You know, and that's an interesting thing, too. We, you know, we keep coming back to these themes of, well, what is business today doing? And... Some of the new movements with Motivation 3.0, with the gig economy, with millennials, with the things that businesses are doing in order to be successful, the businesses are moving more towards um, more empowerment, more autonomy, more purpose in what people are doing. And that's not just a lot of uh, talk. Um, the research is showing that the most successful, so we're talking bottom line dollars and cents, the most successful organizations by and large are going to be ones that are able to do this, that are going to uh, let the people be, uh, the staff have the, the power and the autonomy and the mastery and the purpose and to do mm-hmm. what they want to do. Um, but yeah, obviously that is, that, that's not 1950s business. That's not butts and <laughs> seats. That's not, um, you know, the way, uh, a lot of companies have operated and been successful, but we've got to move from the, you know, from the good to great, from the what got you here won't get you there, and think through the what's really going to make everybody successful. Uh, interesting. So let, let's jump to um, how does adaptive business continuity assist with the current, I don't know if it's a buzz term or not, but organizational resilience? So, yeah, that's up a large can of worms. Um, <laughs> I actually just I just published an, an article um, on that topic. So let, let's try and unpack it a little bit. First of all, in my opinion, I think the best way to think about resilience is an interdiscipline, which is to say resilience is made up of a lot of already existing disciplines. We've got cybersecurity. We have emergency management. We have crisis management. We have IT disaster recovery. We have business continuity. We've got enterprise risk management. So there's a lot of things under that umbrella. Now, one of the problems that resilience has and is going to have is, well, how many things are allowed under that umbrella? Uh, Do we let psychological resilience in? What about sustainability and environmentalism? Um, what about the globe, our, our carbon footprint? Right? The question about what enables an organization to be resilient could be a laundry list of things that basically just translate to the same stuff you teach in an MBA program. That's how a business survives. So it's going to be very difficult for anyone who is at a, what, center of resilience or the chief resilience officer to try and figure out what gets in, what doesn't get in, how do you measure it, how do you prove it, and how do you, you know, just all of that together, how do you find the scope of what needs to be done for resilience? 
Now, somebody may eventually figure that out. There's been some work done, particularly in New Zealand, on resilience, um, rather inconclusive, and there's very little actual quantitative data on it. Um, I think it's going to be a long time in coming and trying to really shore it all up. And probably by the time we have some good data and good information, the fad may have passed. But either way, if somebody figures it out, business continuity has a role to play in resilience. It ought not to be resilience in just the same way that uh, risk management ought not to be resilience or emergency management or cybersecurity or psychological recoverability, any of these things, right? None of those are resilience. Resilience is an interdiscipline. And so um, business continuity has a role to play, but business continuity better bring its own value. And now we go back to what is the value proposition of <laughs> business continuity. Well, it better have a reason for existing and a value that it brings independently of, its, uh, of whoever owns it. Um, so I think it certainly has a role to play in resilience, but we have to be a little careful. I remember, what was it, seven-ish years ago that everyone was saying, well, business continuity ought to just be enterprise risk management. It just ought to fold right into that, or it ought to become enterprise risk management. Well, those are two different things with each of their own set of value propositions and uh, knowledge base that they bring, and we need to separate those out. I, I agree with you. I, I After attending a recent conference, there were some people saying, you know, business continuity, um, regardless of how you manage your programs, you need to be uh, knowledgeable in, and you mentioned, you know, eight or nine different groups there. You know, you have to be knowledgeable in all of those. And I'm thinking nobody can be knowledgeable in all nobody. of these. That's just impossible. Somebody how can, can it, you, you know, <laughs> yeah. go ahead. Somebody could direct all of those things. But here's the other interesting thing that I wonder about resilience. So take something like, I don't know, this may be a bad analogy, but take something like quantum computing, right? So quantum computing, in order to do it well, is going to take a lot of different disciplines coming together to think about the problem. You're going to have actual um, engineer, mechanical engineers and electrical engineers and physicists and scientists uh, and theorists, and all these people from different disciplines are going to come together and come up with something new, right, with something that we haven't done before, which can only be solved by bringing the disciplines together. Okay, well, what's the analogy with resilience? If we bring all of these groups together and we work together to make the organization more resilient, well, what, what has been gained that we couldn't do with each of us working independently? Certainly, there's some sharing of information, uh, there's some coordination, those things are good, but mm -hmm. is there something really new in the concept of resilience that doesn't come out from just the combination of all the pieces that make it up? So in other words, is the, the sum uh, greater than the, is the whole greater than the sum of the parts for resilience? And I'm not sure that it is. Right. I, I agree with you completely because I was kind of I wanted to get up and hit my head against the wall listening to some of these people going, there's no way that your know, business continuity ha is in charge of all of this. No way. Yeah. How you know, I don't yeah. all of a sudden as a business continuity professional, when we talk about resiliency, all of a sudden I'm in charge of cybersecurity and information security facilities and all these other names that they mentioned. I said, this is just impossible. You can't have one person or one group in charge of this entire area. It's impossible. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And, and if you did, what would you get? I'm not sure it's worth the, <laughs> what the effort is yeah. to bring that all together and make it happen. 
Exactly. Well, I, I, I think that's a perfect spot to end our second segment. Today, we are talking with David Lindstedt of the Adaptive Business Continuity Movement. We will be right back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com All round the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. We are talking with David Linstead of the Adaptive Business Continuity Movement. Um, David, a, another great two segments. Always fantastic talking to you guys. Uh, let, let's change um, gears a little bit. Uh, with, with the adaptive movement, you know, how do you propose um, we approach our uh, training and awareness campaigns? Do, is there any difference there now with, with regards to um, you know, the adaptive movement? I mean, yeah, I think, you know, I think this really, in the same way, again, I, I don't know what the best analogy is, in the same way that um, we wouldn't train for quality control with using PQM anymore, we would use Six Sigma. Um, if we were uh, working on our um, server farm, we would probably work with DevOps now instead of sort of an older way of approaching things, and we'd, we'd look at, you know, uh, and AWS and those types of things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we would change the way that we're learning and, and training and offering certification. I think just like any other, if, if we think we've really come on to a better way of doing things, and probably everything ought to reflect that uh, that change. So, yeah, I think it's different. One of the 
You know, one of the important changes uh, with adaptive is this very non-linear approach. Um, and that's challenging for a lot of people because I can no longer simply say, oh, okay, as long as I have produced a certain set of deliverables, I'm doing my job. So in a traditional, in a um, what standards-based approach, if I've done a BIA, an RA, I've written down a lot of uh, workarounds, um, I've done an exercise, I've done training, I've done awareness, I've put up my uh, posters during a disaster week in September, then that's what I'm supposed to be doing, and I'm this is my job, and I'm doing my job well. Well, the problem with that is none, that's a lot of output and not a lot of outcomes. I could do a BIA better yeah. and worse. I can do a planning better and worse. I can do an exercise better and worse. Well, we've lost. We never had the ability to to measure preparedness. So now the idea is: well, I can walk into a department and. I could start with an exercise. I could start with uh, guiding principles. I could start with a baseline. I could start right, whatever you know. That's the Mark and I sort of joke. It's you know the, the the standard approach is if I walk into a department and they start talking about you know what we had an ice storm six months ago and it really messed things up um, and we tried some things and these things worked and these things didn't. Uh, can you help us you know refine that? You know, our answer ought to be, yes, let's start talking. What did you do, and what did work, and how did it work, and what would you do different like next time, and what kinds of things did you need, and what kind of thing? But, you know, the traditional model says, well, that's nice and dandy, but let's not talk about that now. We need to do the BIA, and then we'll do a risk assessment, and then somewhere down the road we'll talk about those things and put it into a really long plan. And so six months from now, maybe we've got something that's valuable to the customer. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think we would change the way that we approach our training. Um, Quite frankly, as we start to think now, you know, we've been talking about the way the business is starting to do business. Let's think 10, 20 years out. Let's start thinking about artificial intelligence and deep learning and automation. Well, if the job of the business continuity planner is to just gather data, so fill in the blanks for BIAs and processes and owners and call trees and things like that, 10 or 20 years down the line, if the investment is made into the software, the software can do that for us, right? It can go out to the human resources database. It can go out into the payroll database and the purchases database and this system and the GIS system, and it can map all that stuff out together, and that'll just be on your plate when you walk in the door with a department. So what is it that a business continuity planner does in 10 to 20 years if it's not gather these data? Well, it better well be the facilitation the innovation, the creativity, um, the detective work, the inquiry, trying to find where the skeletons are, trying to find where the problems and the gaps are. And it's going to be a lot of the soft skills and also the models on which the business continuity is, is made. We, we ought not to expect that everything can be done by a computer just in the same way that right now we don't expect everything can be done by simply filling out an Internet template. It's a much more nuanced uh, uh, piece of work to do proper continuity planning. I kind of like the how, how you were describing it. You, know, you, you may start training and awareness you know, with a test. You may start it somewhere else, you know, lessons learned from a previous uh, um, situation. It almost uh, kind of has a, a Buddhist ring to it. You know, the, the best place to start is where you are right then and there. I mean, there could be 
a Taoist thing there, where we're just following the simplest <laughs> path and, and Wu Wei and the art of uh, the action of inaction. Sure, uh, you know, as you get into the groove. But but you know, look, you certainly can think of it in terms of that, and I think it lends itself to to some of those approaches and some of those those feelings. But um, yeah, I mean, it just makes. Now again, let's go back to the bottom line. It just makes good business sense to meet the customer where they are, and if the customer cares about not having laptops, that's where we ought to start. If they care about the ice storm, that's where we ought to start. If they are, um, you know, they've just been obsessed with the bird flu because they've read another article that it's going to come out again this year, great, let's do some pandemic work. It doesn't matter. We are the professionals. We know where we need to end up, and we better be good at facilitating and guiding, but we can let the customer have a very strong voice in the way that we get this done. And I, and I guess, but you you had a good example there with the pandemic, and if that's a spot where you started, you know, you're you're planning talking with a a client or something. As you go through that, that's also enabling them to start thinking about other things. So even though you you may have started, you know, as some people might think, oh, you started halfway through the whole process, it still gets your client thinking about other things, even when you've started in that spot. That's right. Yeah, and you know. A lot of this, and when you start with a focus on documentation, when you start with a, I need to collect a lot of information and write it down on virtual paper, that sets up a certain dynamic. When you walk in with a, let's find out who you are and what you can do now. Nobody starts from zero. Everybody has capabilities. We're just going to find out what they are, and we need to improve on them. And that makes it a whole different kind of a dynamic when I'm really there to learn about what you do and what you would do in a disaster and what kinds of options you have and to help you be innovative because we all know that, you know, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. We ought to take that very seriously, uh, that our, our, our long pages of instructions of run docs, they're not going to work, particularly mm-hmm. in um, a complex, not complicated, but in a complex environment where there are more unknowns than there are knowns. The post-disaster environment is a shifting landscape, and we're going to have to be able to adapt to that. Well, I agree completely. Uh- I think we're we're coming close to uh, uh, almost the end of our final segment. Time, fly, time flies every time I talk to you. Um, what's on? What's next on the horizon for Adaptive BC? Boy, I don't know. So. Um... <laughs> You know, we have a, an international think tank, the Adaptive Advisory Group, and we ask the same questions ourselves. You know, in some ways, we've been thinking about three different audiences, but we, the, the practitioners, uh, the executives, and the auditors and the regulators. And I think we've done a pretty good job of getting information out to the practitioners. I mean, we've got, we've got videos, we've got a book, we've got training, we've got webinars, this, that stuff's out there. So the more interesting question is now, can we get to those other two audiences? Can we either get to the executives? Um, usually when we can get their ear, they are receptive to the adaptive approach. They, they really, quite frankly, don't care, I think, by and large, how anybody does business continuity. What they care about are the results. And if we can show a more effective, efficient process with actually quantifiable results and actionable data that gives us dashboards uh, on the end, well, they're going to like that. So is there a way to get there? Or, again, with the standards, the auditors, the regulators. You know, 
a lot of people shy away from adaptive BC because they say, well, look, our, our auditors require this and this and this and this, these specific deliverables. Well, the question is why? You know, what are they really looking for? And in some cases, they are stuck with whatever they want to do and think they need to do. But a lot of times, their end goal is to make the organization more recoverable. And if we can start talking that language of capabilities and measurable capabilities, well, a lot of the auditors and regulators might come around because I think they sense, too, that, um, you know, there's a lot of a check-the-box for deliverables, but not necessarily a lot of meat uh, when it comes to thinking about recoverability and actual um, capabilities. And, and I got another question for you, because we talked about it on our, on one of our breaks. I understand there's now a certification with Adaptive BC. Can you tell, tell, yes, tell us a little bit about Yes, we have. We've rolled out a couple of rounds um, of uh, Adaptive BC Foundations, is what we're calling it. Um, and it's been interesting, because... We've really wanted to focus more on an experience. Uh, so we're focusing more on uh, case studies uh, and group exercises. You know, what we know from um, education is that adult learners don't learn best when they're simply lectured at for hour after hour after hour after hour. They learn uh -huh. best when they're engaged, and that means uh, doing a case study or working with a partner or working with another uh, table or coming up with group exercises or really trying to think things through and come out with, et cetera, et cetera. So we've tried to make what we have now is a two-day certification course, try to make it very experiential, um, very much engaging. We try and talk less than 50% of the the time, um, and we've done a couple of those in the past year, and we've got one coming up, uh, at least one coming up at the Continuity Insights Conference in San Antonio that you mentioned at the opening of the session. And uh, um, I think I will be uh, attending your course. I think I mentioned that. Yeah, so <laughs> I think you know <laughs> it, it's a great subject because I do believe, you know, it, Change is the only constant, so I don't understand why um, there would be pushback to any sort of change. And I think adaptive is going to help us change our industry, move it forward, and change some of the um, static thinking of you know doing the same old thing the same old way. We'll give you the same old results. So you know we have to change. Otherwise, we'd all be driving you know black model T Fords. There we go. There we go. So what has been some of the um, uh, feedback you've been receiving lately? Has, you know, I know initially at the, when we started talking today, you know, there was, we mentioned there was a lot of pushback. Have you seen that change now? So it's, it's tough to tell. Um, I think, you know, over the summer, there were a lot of interesting uh, LinkedIn discussions and other discussions. Um, Mark went and presented in a debate style format uh, in London um, I've done some, some similar, th similar things. I, so it's tough to tell. Now, I think we may be entering a quiet period where uh, folks are just actually now they're just trying it, right? They're in their organizations. They're maybe mm. picking a couple of things that they want to do differently, uh, or maybe it's their first or second time through the book, and they're thinking about the ways that they want to employ um, some of the lessons learned and some of the approaches. Um, so it, may be, it may be percolating for the next several months, um, but, boy, I, I don't know. Your crystal ball is probably as good as mine. <laughs> 
I guess it's kind of like the the dust has settled from the initial um, uh, appearance on the scene to now people, uh, you know, kind of getting a, a step back and saying, okay, well, what were they saying? You know, you know, it, it's like anything new. People, you know, put up a big fuss right off the bat, right? I think that's right. And I think there's some, now we're starting to see some, I don't know what we call them, golf cart conversations where, you know, the head of this per, the company and the head of that company are having these sidebar conversations about, oh, that's kind of an interesting thing. And, oh, you're trying that too. Okay, well, how's that working out for you? Oh, I see. That's good. So, you know, I think, um, yeah, as you said, the, the initial uh, impact dust has settled and, and people are trying it. And they're trying it out and they're kicking the tires and seeing what feels comfortable. Great. Well, we've got two minutes left. Do you want to take one minute to, for any final thought? Uh, no, I just I guess if I have a <laughs> final thought, it's it's just try it, try it, experiment. Um, you know that really gets back into the to, to, to lean and agile and entrepreneurship and the way that a lot of businesses are running these days, which is you know just try different approaches and if it works, do more of it. If it doesn't work, do less of it. And if you don't know whether or not it works, then run little experiments and get feedback and go from there. So, you know, it's a much more open-ended, non-linear, complex, increasing change environment that we're living in. And, um, and what is it, the, the Alvin Toffler quote that uh, the, the illiterate of this century won't be those who can't read and write, but those who can't learn, unlearn, and relearn. And that's really where we need to be. And I think on that note, we've come to the end of uh, another chat with David Lindstedt of Adapted Business Continuity. And unfortunately, we missed Mark. Um, but still, it was great talking to you, David, and getting caught up on what's happening out there. So thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Alex. Always a pleasure to be on the show. And I will finally get to meet you face-to-face -face when I show up in San Antonio at the Continuity Insights Conference. Sounds great. Looking <laughs> forward to it. So in the meantime, everyone uh, out there, again, if there's a topic you want us to talk about, please let me know, and we'll see about getting you or someone else on the show. Uh, today's show was brought to us by the people at BoastAssessment.com. Uh, check out their product, help you focus your resources, and monitor your program uh, progress and success. And in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.